Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Galatians, the book of Galatians. Now, today we begin our study through the book of Galatians, and we're not, we, we might not touch too much into the book of Galatians. Today is more of an introduction into the book of Galatians. Now, something I have to say before we get started is to make sure that we together, you and me, that we are in prayer for one another, prayer for your family needs, your individual needs, prayers of the saints because we're living in very perilous times and it's going to get worse it's going to get darker and darker and darker but remember just as we see darkness in egypt where was the light it was with god's people you see the lord still had to do a work with his people but at the same time you know they were still light in goshen and that's what's going to happen in the last days things are going to be exposed to where you're going to see a little bit of light and the lights are going to go out but then at the same time, you're going to see lights getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's the remnant in the last days. And so make sure that you have your storing oil, plenty of oil for your lamps because it's going to get darker and darker. Now, we begin our study in the book of Galatians. Today is an, an introduction into the book. Galatians is a letter from Paul. Remember, Paul has his bubble, and that's not that he is boastful in any way, shape, or form, but he has his bubble, and in his bubble, he has senders, he has runners to send a message, he has uh, people that he's pouring into, future pastors, future ministry leaders. It's a very, very special bunch. And it's not to elevate Paul or to deify Paul, but to understand that he and those in that bubble, they're workers in the field. Remember in our study in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, how many times did you hear us say that we make the distinction between worker and field? Okay, it's very important because if you're a pew Christian, you go to church and you sit in the pews, it's not to say like, oh, you're just, you know, you're just a pew Christian. No, 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 no. Anybody who does that, that's... You know, that's a sign of uh, pride. It's not a good sign is to say that, yes, those in the pew, very incredibly, incredibly beautiful. But at the same time, it's the workers who pour into the field. Now, those in the field can become workers. You see, and that's how the Lord works. That's how the Lord works. Now, in our study here in Galatians, it's written in 54 AD. It's right around the same time as 1 Corinthians was written. Actually, it's the, you know, the same year as 1 Corinthians was written. Now, the problem in Corinth, remember our study through 1 Corinthians, was that they had a problem with arrested development. They were not maturing in Christ. And so Paul, the Lord uses his vessel, Paul, and Chloe, because Chloe kind of initiated things. You know, wrote a letter to Paul and says, hey, Paul, there's some, some problems here in Corinth, you see. And so the problem in Corinth was they weren't maturing in Christ. They were babies for too long. And in Galatia, they didn't have a problem with being babies, but what they did have a problem with, remember, so remember in our study in 2 Corinthians, how the example was given, like we're third graders, desperate to become fourth graders. Now, say we're at that cusp, or maybe we've entered the very beginning of fourth grade, but there's another problem that emerges. And the problem that happened in Galatia was that there was this ideology that came into the fellowships that salvation is by works not only that but there was a strong uh, urging to return to the law that's what the problem was in galatia the fellowship there they didn't they weren't babies 
they got to a level of maturity to where, you know, Paul didn't have to uh, address the things that he did in Corinth, the works of the flesh. But what he did have to address was that salvation is not by works and the law in the law is death. Okay. Now, as Christians, we understand as believers in Christ and through our studies through the book of Acts and Romans and first and second Corinthians. And if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, even other books through the New Testament. Now, faith, our, our salvation is not by works. It's by faith, by faith. And it's without the law. You see, there's a purpose for the law. The law is still holy. Just as we studied in the book of Romans, the law is still holy. But then at the same time, you know, there's, remember it last week how we made mention of the thief on the cross? And the thief on the cross, his salvation wasn't by works. He was saved by faith in Christ. But then what happens if he came down off the cross? Not, not to suggest that he did, but the example was given. If he came down off the cross, now he's still saved in Christ, but then now he has to obey the Lord. You see, just like in James, you know, faith without works is dead. But then when James makes the reference of works, he references Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the passage in Genesis about Abraham and Isaac, you know what you see with Abraham? Obedience. You even see obedience with Isaac as well. It's very beautiful because a lot of times people say, oh, you're a legalist. You know, you think it's works-based salvation. Okay, Tell me where the works. Remember, works is a debt. Works is a debt. Remember our study through Romans. Works is a debt. Now, when we have this understanding, you know, people say, oh, you're you works-based salvation. Where's the works? Where's the works? Oh, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. Well, what does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say about sexual immorality? What does the Bible say about drunkenness? What does the Bible say about revelries and all, the, all kinds of different works of the flesh? It says that is not good. Don't do that. And so we make the choice. Okay, I'm going to obey what the word says. Therefore, I'm not going to partake in those things. Oh, that's works-based salvation. No, it's not works-based salvation. It's obedience-based salvation. Works-based salvation would be like the J-dubs. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they go knock on doors and, you know, they, they have to meet a quota. You know, they got to meet a quota. And if they don't meet that quota, they're going to burn in hell. And so they work for their salvation. And that's unbiblical. The J-dubs, that whole doctrine is unbiblical. Now, if you're Jehovah's Witness, I love you. Come out of her, my people. Come to Christ. You see? And so at the same time, you know, people, a lot of times people say, oh, that's works-based salvation. That's works-based salvation. But a lot of times in my personal experience, the majority of people who say that's works-based, that's works-based, those folks, the majority of the time, they are babies. They are 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type of believers, you see? And I say that to help you to make that distinction too because you might be in a situation where people say, oh, that's works-based, that's works-based. And I would say about 93.8% of the time when people tell me that, we have a deeper conversation, and the majority of time, they're, they're a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type of believer. They're babies. They're still babies. Oh, how dare you call me a baby? I've been a Christian for 20 years. And then you have the conversation about deeper things, and they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. You see, it's because they've been on milk for so long. 
which isn't a good thing. Now, if you're a baby Christian, praise be to the Lord, because if you're a new believer, praise be to the Lord. But if you're a baby Christian and you've been walking with the Lord for five months, five years, that's not good. That's not good. We need to move on to perfection. And I don't say that to shame you or make you feel bad, but I say that to encourage you and say, hey, hold my hand and let's grow together. You grow and I grow. We'll grow together and let's continue in our journey with Christ. Now, 54 AD is when this letter was written to the church in Galatia and their problem was a return to the law. A problem with them or several of the problems was that you know that they started to believe that there was salvation through works and then also a return to the law now the parallel passages in this letter in galatia to this letter to the galatian saints it correlates to acts 18 acts 18 and in acts 18 you also see the birth of the corinthian church and when paul left corinth you see in acts 18 verses 18 through 23 what happens is he goes on to other regions to include Galatia. And in Acts 18, you see the birth of the church in Corinth. And that's where you see Paul as a planter and then also a waterer. And also through First and Second Corinthians, you see him as a waterer. But in Acts 18, he's the planter, like the father of the church, so to speak. Remember how he says, I birthed you? But to the saints in Galatia, you don't see the planter. He's more of a waterer, you see? And so it's so beautiful when you see the, these correlating verses in Acts 18, how he's in Corinth, him and his bubble, his little entourage, they're in, in Corinth, and then they, they're planting fellowships, and then they go into other regions and meet up with the saints, and they water those fellowships. And what's so beautiful is that when you see uh, uh, where he, he, when he enters Galatia, which is, you know, if you look, if you have a Bible where you have maps on the back, if you look at Jerusalem, and you go straight north up, up to Jerusalem, kind of towards the Black Sea, that's where you see Galatia. That's the region of Galatia. And you see this overlap of where you remember in our study through the Corinthians, the first and second Corinthians, how you see this aspect of spiritual warfare. Well, when you see these overlaps from Acts 18, and you see these different fellowships in Acts 17, 18, 19, and you see these different fellowships. And if you recall, if you've been walking with us for a while and you recall our study through those letters, and if you recall how many times did you hear us mention how, you know, this is the birth of a lot of churches, such as the birth of Corinth, the, the Philippian saints, and these beautiful passages. But what we don't remember oftentimes is the overlap of these letters where Paul is writing these letters to the saints in Corinth, the saints in Galatia. And you see Paul as like, I'm going to speak militarily, but you almost see him not just as an, over, as an overseer, yes, a trainer of saints, a teacher of saints, and a trainer of pastors and elders. But at the same time, you see him as like a, an overseer of multiple fellowships. And when I say militarily, it's almost like a like a 
like a colonel type or maybe even a general type how you know you have uh ground troops and you have uh a, an upper echelon of leadership like the command element of a particular platoon or unit but then when you get into like headquarters battalions you see in a higher echelon of leadership where you see the brass you see the uh, uh the colonels and depending on how high you go you see generals and in those sites they're actually conducting they have like uh, eyes on the whole entire battlefield like the whole entire war they see like a unit over here a unit over here battalion over here platoon over here a squad over here they kind of have oversight of everything and that's what i think of when i see paul how he's writing these letters yes he's going from town to town in his little entourage this holy bubble and he's going town to town to town but at the same time he's planting He's watering, and then these problems arise in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Galatia. And you see how the Lord is using him as his vessel to establish order in the fellowships. Order in the fellowships through sound doctrine. You see, it's beautiful when you see this, this aspect of not just the battle, this aspect of warfare, yes, but when you see the landscape of what this warfare entails in different fellowships. Corinth had the problem with being babies and, you know, the Lord cleaned house and you see this urge to mature, but then you also see there's that demonic threat that's always there. Now you see that in the book of Acts where you see the spiritual warfare, the the, the offensive uh, when the saint, when when the apostles are on offense, but then at the same time you see the encouragement for the saints in the epistles, and the big problem with Galatia is the return to the law, the return to the law, which isn't good. Remember in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, how many times did you hear us emphasize where Paul says you guys might well put up with it. You guys might well put up with it. You know what happened with Galatia? They put up with it. Certain people, certain men came in the fellowships. Certain people came in and says, hey, if you want to be right with God, we got to go back to the law. You see, we got to go back to the teachings of Moses. Not a good thing. Remember, the work is in a person and then through a person. Now, the Lord did a work inside of Paul. Now, when the Lord did the work inside of Paul, then you see the Lord doing the work through Paul. And through Paul, you see that in First and Second Corinthians. Through Paul, you see that in Galatians. You see it in the book of Acts. Understand that the battle is first inside of the heart and mind of a man, inside the heart and the mind of a woman. The battle is first within. Once that is, I don't want to say done, but once that, I, I don't even want to say mastered. I mean, that sounds kind of like, because we're always in these earth suits. There are always going to be battles within, always. But once we get proficient in this aspect of spiritual warfare within, it's in those moments where the Lord says, okay, oftentimes where the Lord says, I want to use you. I want to use you to, you know, whatever. That's his call, not my call. He did it to Paul. He did it to Lydia. He did it to 
Phoebe to Chloe. He did it to all these different beautiful people, male and female. And he still does it today. The question is, do we understand this aspect of spiritual warfare to understand that, yes, the battle is first within? And then at what point will a soul say, Lord, here am I. Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. Use me. And remember, the battle is first within. And not to say that that can be mastered because we can get better and we can get masterful. We can get surely, absolutely proficient in exercising the not just the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. Not to boast in any way, shape, or form because it's a work of the Lord. But to glorify Him more and more and more with every essence and fiber of our beings. And that was the problem in Galatia is they were putting up with certain men who say, hey, if you want to be right with God, we got to go back to Moses. We got to go back to Moses. Uh, Hebrew roots movement type. Now, if you're Hebrew roots, if you're in, in the camp of the Hebrew roots movement, I love you. I want you to know that some of the things that we're going to touch on through our study through the book of Galatians, it's going to hit you hard. It's going to hit you quite hard. Because we're not to go back to the law. It's not that to say, it's not to say that the law isn't good. The law is absolutely holy. The law is still holy. But if you recall our studies, it's like remember the, the headlights? You got the low beams and the high beams. There's a purpose for, you know, there's a purpose in the law, but then at the same time, abiding in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Now, the Hebrew Roots Movement, it's nothing new. It's nothing new at all. Turn with me to Acts 15. Acts 15. And in Acts 15, we see here, the first Hebrew Roots Movement that came into the church, the very first Hebrew Roots Movement, and in Acts 15, verse 1, and you might recall if you've been walking with us for a while, you might recall these studies, a little refresher course. The very first Hebrew Roots Movement in the early church. And in Acts 15, verse 1, says, And certain men came down from Judea. Who are these certain men? I wonder who these guys are. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved, end quote. That's what these certain men were saying. Advocating the law. Circumcision in accordance to the law. Now, remember our study through the book of Acts? We know what circumcision is. Circumcision, you know, those who are circumcised, in some cases, aren't really circumcised, and those who are circumcised aren't really aren't aren't uncircumcised. It's belief in Jesus Christ. Christianity. If you're a female, my beautiful sister in Christ, and you're circumcised, our faith in Jesus Christ is the only way a female can be circumcised, because it's not of the flesh; it's of the heart. And you see here, there was this certain men who came down from Judea and they were saying, hey, you can't be saved. You're not saved unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses is what they said. In verse 2, notice, therefore, 
when Paul and Barnabas had no small dis- dissension and dispute with them. You see, it it wasn't a small. It wasn't just like, oh, that's no big deal. No, it was it was a big deal to them. No small dissension or and dispute with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Translates as a, a little debate. Remember, there's no small dissension and dispute with them. Paul and Barnabas. So being sent on their way by the church, in verse 3, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Now notice what happens here in verse 4. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So a little, uh, 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 like a little download of what they experienced and what the Lord has been doing and, and what, what the, the joy that was given to the Gentiles, just as was written in verse 3. Just a little report of what's going on. Remember, there, there, no social media. They can't go on Facebook. They can't go on, you know, uh, the gram and do all these things and say, hey, look, nobody knows. So everything's, you know, face to face in person. And so look what happens here in verse five. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, the Pharisees who believed. So in one aspect, we can look at this and be like, wow, praise be to the Lord, because there's some of the Pharisees who believed in Jesus Christ. Remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's also the scribes, but those are the two main factions of the Judaizers. Those of the law was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection. That was one of the main contentions between the Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees who did believe in the resurrection and they accept other teachings of the, of the, uh, uh, of the prophets in the Old Testament, not just the Torah, the Sadducees were more uh, Torah and the five books of Moses while we're studying in the Old Testament. And the, the uh, 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 Pharisees, they accepted more writings of the prophets. And the Pharisees were the ones who believed in a resurrection. The beef that existed between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is the Sadducees, uh, no resurrection to them. They didn't believe in the resurrection, you see. And so the, the, the Pharisees... Because of their belief in the resurrection, it opened them up. It was a little easier for them to believe in Jesus Christ, such as uh, Nicodemus, for example. Uh, And here we see Pharisees who became believers in Jesus Christ in verse 4 or in verse 5 here in chapter 15, the book of Acts. He says in verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, praise be to the Lord, they believed in Jesus Christ. But there was a problem. In verse 1, certain men came down from Judea. These certain men who came down advocating, hey, you got to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. It was these Pharisees. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them, no period, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So, yes, they believed in Jesus Christ, except because of their prior uh, uh, holding to the law, it made it difficult for them to understand deeper things and understand that the law points to Christ because what they were doing was telling these other Christians, saying, hey, 
We got to not, it's not just that you have to be circumcised, but on top of the circumcision, hey, you got to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. It was the very first Hebrew roots movement in the church. The very first Hebrew roots movement in the church by the sect of the Pharisees, those of the law. Now, look at verse 7. Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. In verse 7, and when there had been much dispute. Now, understand there was this much dispute among. Now, remember that who's in this little gathering here? In verse 4, the church is there, the apostles, the elders. And remember, this certain men who advocated circumcision according to the custom of Moses, but with Paul and Barnabas, there in verse 2, there was no small dissension and dispute with them. It wasn't a small deal. It wasn't like, oh, that's just a non-essential. Go ahead, be circumcised, keep the law. No, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal to Paul and Barnabas. And not just Barnabas, because look what happens here in verse 7. When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up peter rose up in verse 7 you see peter rose up in verse 12 you see hey look barnabas and paul they also rise up look who else rises up in verse 13 james so look who's rising up here peter barnabas paul and james and there's much dispute yes and what is it with this matter of the law? Remember, the Pharisees, they were believers in Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus Christ was and is the Messiah. They believe it, and praise be to the Lord. Except they didn't want to let go of the law. They did not want to let go of the law. It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses, is what they said in verse 5. Keep the law of Moses. Much dispute. Imagine a gathering. You have elders, you have apostles, you have the church saints there. And you have Paul there and Barnabas and Peter and James and the Pharisees. They rise up and say, hey, it is necessary to circumcise these Christians, these believers. It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Whoa, 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 hold the phone. That's not a small deal. That's not like, you know, uh, quote-unquote non-essential. That's a big deal. And there had been much dispute in this gathering of leadership, elders and the apostles. And in verse 7, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know what a good while... Uh, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So the Gentiles, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's what we looked at in, I mean, if you remember our study through the book of Acts, that's what we studied in chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And so here in verse eight, so God who knows the heart acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them. You see? So Jew and Gentile, 
No distinction between Jew and Gentile. That's what Brother Peter is saying here. Jews. Peter, a Jewish guy. Messianic Jew, he believes in Jesus Christ. And the Lord, he's saying, and we've studied this in our study in the book of Acts, that God who knows the heart acknowledged them, this is from verse 8, by giving him the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Hearts of the Gentiles purified by faith. Now, if you're among the Hebrew Roots movement today, I want you to know that I love you. I love you. We're going to look at passages, and I don't want to rock you to the core to where you abandon the Lord. But in the law, I submit to you that you might have abandoned him already by going to the law. And if you, and I pray that the, the Holy Spirit comfort you. But at the same time, we have to understand what the Word of God teaches. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. If righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Very important to understand that. Does that mean that the law is unholy? No, the law is holy. Remember our study through Romans. The law is holy. It's like the headlights example. Remember the, in our study in Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 3? The, the, there's the, the, the low beams and the high beams. There's a greater glory, not in the law, but in Christ. And if you're abiding in the law, well, you're not abiding in the law's fulfillment, which is in Christ. And I don't say this to jolt you to the core to where you walk away. But as I said earlier, Perhaps you've already walked away if you're part of the Hebrew Roots Movement, which is a very, very dangerous doctrine. Very dangerous doctrine, and it's growing in these last days. And I understand why. There's a, a spiritual element to it. And when I say a spiritual element, I speak of the pneumos. There's a demonic element to it. And there's also an element of the desire for more structure in the church because the church today is going into crazy town. It has already gone into crazy town. I mean, there is crazy, straight up craziness in the fellowships today. And the Lord's going to clean house. It is prophesied to happen. And we see it happening. Remember, judgment comes first in the house of God. And as a result of the craziness that is being seen in the churches today, there are Christians who believe and they love the Lord and they don't like what they see. And as a result, they want more structure in their fellowship to prevent the craziness. And so what do they do to prevent the craziness? The craziness isn't good. And so what do they do? They desire more structure. And so they either go to Hebrew roots or they either go into Calvinistic fellowships and Reformed fellowships. Both are not good. Both are not good. Or they go into uh, legalistic churches, which are not good. That's like the Seventh-day Adventist type. That's not good either. So I understand why saints, believers, because they see craziness in the fellowships today. 
because of defunct pastors, defunct elders, people who are in the position of pastor and elder who have no business whatsoever being in those positions. Either they're fools or they're satanic and demonic. They have no business being teachers and pastors and elders and deacons. They have no business in the ministry because they're babies themselves. And in some cases, they're wolves. But at the same time, so what does that mean? What does that mean when the church is crazy as it is today, entering crazy town, either crazy or entering crazy town? Remember, apostasy is prophesied. Apostasy is prophesied. There's four categories of the last day's church. The last day's church is either apostate, entering apostasy. The last day's church, there's four categories. First category is false, straight up false. False, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. And the true church is the remnant. That's where we want to be. You and me together, we want to be in the remnant. Now, I understand people see their churches enter crazy town and they want more structure. They want more government. They want more uh, structure, like, you know, heavy handedness. And so they either go Hebrew roots or they go into Calvinistic and Reformed. Now, Calvinistic and Reformed, that's also dangerous because it's a misunderstanding of Scripture. You have Reformed teachers now that are saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Fools, because they teach on things they ought not to teach. And it's growing in the fellowships. You have people who write their study Bibles, well-known study Bibles. And these are the very people who say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It has no bearing on your salvation. When the Bible says it absolutely has bearing on your salvation. You see? Never take the mark of the beast. I don't care what, you know, whoever wrote the study Bible, I don't care whatever he says or whatever his followers say or whatever the so-called pastors who adhere to him, whatever they say, never, ever, 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 ever take the mark of the beast. And so you see churches entering crazy town and a lot of Christians, they see it. They identify that, yes, this is crazy. I don't like this. I need more government. I need more structure. So I'm going into Calvinism. I'm going into Reformed theory. I'm going into Hebrew roots. All those routes aren't bad. Or I need more legalism. I'm going into more legalism. And then they go into Seventh-day Adventists. That's not good. That's not good. 100% of the Branch Davidians were seven, former Seventh-day Adventists. It's not good. That's like entering first step into a cult. All those routes aren't good. But to understand. So what do we do? What is it When we see the church entering crazy town, what do we do? I need more structure anymore. That's the remnant. Understand, be of good cheer and understand that you're among the remnant. Don't go Hebrew roots. Don't go Seventh-day Adventist. Don't go Calvinist. Don't go Reformed. You're of the remnant. You see? And what Brother Peter is saying here, remember, he rose up. There was much dispute. And so notice who rises up. Peter, Barnabas, Paul, and James. So here, Peter rises up. And he says here in verse 9, how the Lord made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God? He's speaking to these Pharisees who believed, yes, in verse 5. Except in verse 5, it is revealed that they, they were advocating it is necessary for circumcision in accordance to Moses and... To command them to keep the law of Moses. And so Peter rises up in verse 10. He says, 
Why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we ourselves were able to bear. Remember, Peter's a Jew too. The Pharisees, they're Jewish as well. He says, look, we were not able to bear these things. A, a little reminder here, Pharisees, we were unable to bear this. And not just us, but look at our history. Look at the fathers. Look at what happened in the wilderness with the law. We were unable to bear these things. And, and, and why is it that you're putting this yoke on their necks? Why? And in verse 12, notice what happens here. Then all the multitude kept silent. So remember, there was the much dispute in verse 7. Peter rises up. Everybody's quiet. Now he says what he has to say. And then all of a sudden, verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent in verse 12. So there's quiet. No more dispute. It's silent. And listen to Barnabas and Paul. So now Barnabas and Paul chime in. Remember with them, there was in verse 2, there was no small dissension and dispute with them. They definitely had beef about this. They, you know, imagine Paul and Barnabas, this holy entourage, this holy bubble going from town to town. And you see like, you know, uh, guys there that are like, hey, Paul, I just got circumcised. Praise be to the Lord. And Paul's like, what? Who, t who told this? I never taught you that. You see like Gentiles. It's one thing if a Jew says it, but the Gentiles, hey, brother Paul, praise be to the Lord. Nice little holy kiss. Oh, Brother Paul, Brother Barnabas, I love you so much. How are you doing? Oh, let me, you know, I just got circumcised a couple weeks ago. And he's a Gentile speaking. Hey, Brother Paul, I just got circumcised. What? Who? I never told you that. Where did you hear that? When did I ever instruct you to be circumcised? You're a Gentile. Who told you? Oh, these guys came down from Judea. And they told us that. We have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And if we didn't do that, we're not saved. And so it freaked me out. And so I got circumcised. You see, and Paul, Barnabas, who in the world, who are these men who are teaching? They have no business teaching this. Who? Remember, no small dissension or dispute with them. This was a big deal to Paul and Barnabas. Because they acknowledge, just like Brother Peter acknowledges, that who is it that came from Judea who came into town and told these Gentiles to be circumcised? And not just that, but to keep the law of Moses. Who is it that came into town and put this heavy yoke on these little lambs? Who? And so they travel and then they realize, and in this little uh, gathering, of the heavies, so to speak. They see who it is, some of the sect of the Pharisees. And remember, all of these, all of Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and James, they've had run-in with the Pharisees. It's not to say that the Pharisees, these, they're believers. Praise be to the Lord, they believe in Jesus Christ. But they speak and teach on things which they ought not to speak and teach on. To keep the law. Hebrew roots. These Pharisees who, yes, they believe in Jesus Christ, but their Hebrew roots, 
Let's go back to the law. We got to keep the law. And in verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, they had become silent. So more than, you know, Peter was done. Barnabas and Paul were done. The room is still silent. Now look what happens. In verse 13, and after they had become silent, James answered saying, man and brethren, listen to me. And Paul go, and, and, and James goes on to continue. He says uh, in verse 14, Simon has declared how God, at the, Simon is Peter, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Remember, same spirit, same spirit. Remember, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Same spirit, just like you, you know, what James says, aligns perfectly with what Isaiah says, which aligns with what Paul says, which aligns with what Jeremiah says, which aligns with what Ezekiel says, which aligns with what Barnabas says, which aligns with what Peter says and James says. Everything aligns. Why? The same spirit. The same spirit. In verse 15, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. You see, the spirit leads in the word. And the servants of the Lord, they lead and teach from the word. And this is what is written in verse 16. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild, rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. The inclusion of the Gentiles. So does that mean we go back to the law? Now, I, I'm teaching from America, and just so you know, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Jew. I'm, I'm, I'm a Gentile, okay? Just, just so you know, I don't know where you're listening in the world. You might be Jewish. I love you, and praise be to the Lord. But does that mean that we go back to the law? You know, hold on. We have to make these distinctions. And in verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. You see, no law, no, 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 keep the law of Moses. No, no. We, he says, I submit to you, he says in verse 20, that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Now, in this little gathering, the heavies, so to speak, they agreed. They all agreed. And they wrote a letter, verse 23, they wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren and this is what the letter says. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls. That's what the Pharisees said. Now the Pharisees believed in Jesus as the Messiah, Son of the Most High. And in that I say praise be to the Lord. But they took it upon themselves. Look what it says here unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. What did they do? They took it upon themselves. 
these Pharisees. They took it upon themselves to encourage the saints to return to the law, to go back to not just the saints, but the Gentiles. You got to be circumcised. You got to do the works of Moses. We got to go back to the law of Moses. The Pharisees, they believed in Jesus. Hebrew Roots Movement, the very first Hebrew Roots Movement in the early church. And the heavies, which include Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James, elders. We gave no such commandment to these guys, these Pharisees. Yes, it unsettled your souls. And they said you got to be circumcised and keep the law. But we gave no such commandment. I mean, imagine, you know, I gave my example, you know, the Gentile who comes to Paul and says, Hey, Paul, how you doing? I love you. You know, he gives him a nice holy kiss, gives Barnabas a holy kiss. And, you know, oh, by the way, I got circumcised a couple weeks ago. A Gentile says that to him. Paul says, who told you that? Oh, this guy, you know, this... I didn't, you know, I didn't know he was a Pharisee, but, you know, this guy came from Judea. He says he's among the saints there. And he told me to do this. And he had a deep understanding of the law. And Paul's like, wait a second. I never told you that. I never taught you that. Barnabas never taught you that. Peter never said that. And not that he's mad at the guy. But there's no small dissension with them. I mean, when, you know, if, he was probably mad at the Pharisees. I say, I, should, I say Pharisees, I should say former Pharisees because they believe in Jesus Christ. The problem with them is that they refused to let go of the law. Now, when you abide in Jesus Christ, you have to let go of the law. You have to. You have to let go of Moses. Why? Because Moses wrote of Jesus Moses wrote of me, he says to the Pharisees. That's what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees. How can you, he, oh, we believe in, Mo, we, we, we do the law of Moses, we believe in the law of Moses and Jesus Christ says, how can you believe? Moses wrote about me. You're blind, you're deaf. You don't have eyes to see, you don't have ears to hear. And so in this Hebrew Roots Movement, the Leaders of the early church, they shut it down. They shut it down completely. We gave no such commandment to these guys, he says in verse 20, or that's what the letter says in verse 24. It also says in verse 30, the letter's done, but he says in verse 30, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. You see? How beautiful is this? I mean, say, for example, you were that guy who came to Paul and Barnabas and you got circumcised and you got circumcised and you're an adult male. You get circumcised and you do it for the Lord. I mean, there's the, the, the painful aspect of it, but let's forget about that. Maybe not, not, not so hard, not so easy to forget about the pain, but let's forget about that for a moment because you're doing it in service to the Lord. To glorify him and honor him because you're so deeply in love with the Lord. And these guys came and says, you have to do it and you have to keep the law of Moses. And you're so in love with Jesus Christ that you just, okay, I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to go, I'm going to do what the law says because yes, I love the Lord. And I, I you know, this guy, he, he came from Judea and he says these things. And so I'm going to do it because I love the Lord. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't get mad at the people. There was no small dissension with them. I guarantee that they had issue with these Pharisees. Why? Because they taught on things which they ought not to teach. You see, these people in Antioch, they put up with it. Just like Paul says to the church in Corinth. These people come into town, the preacher guys come into town, and you put up with it. And so now that this letter was sent, they come back to Antioch in verse 30. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Can you imagine? Say you got circumcised and you're ready to keep the law. You've prepared your home. You're everything. You're ready to do everything in accordance to the law. And you're like, wow, this is going to be a tough road, but I'm going to do it anyways because I love the Lord. I'm so in love with the Lord and I'm a little sore. I got circumcised and, you know, I circumcised my kids and all these things. And we're doing it all for the Lord. We're doing it 100%. We're doing it all for the Lord. And then Paul and Barnabas come to town. You give them the holy kiss. He says, hey, we're going to have a meeting. You know, let's gather over here. All the saints gather. They read the letter. And how beautiful it is to rejoice and understand like, wow, we don't have to keep the law. These guys who came into town, you know, it's revealed that they were former Pharisees. And they troubled us with these words and they were unsettling to our souls, but we did it anyways because we love the Lord. And yes, we put up with what they said. We're just babies after all. We put up with what they said. And I'm not, I don't say to say babies, that's a bad thing. But now you see in Antioch, the danger for them to be babies. Now, it's beautiful for a baby to exist in the hands of a loving parent. You see, such as a Paul, such as a Timothy, such as a Titus, because these and a Barnabas and a James and a, 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 a Peter, because these are ones who can guide them into maturing in Christ, not deceive them into the law. You see, these were unsuspecting saints. And so now that these Parents, and I'm doing my air quotes, parents, but I say parents in Christ. These parents, they read the letter in verse 31. They rejoiced over its encouragement. Wow, we don't have to do the law. We don't have to do the law. I mean, what if there were some other guys who were kind of like, whew, I had my circumcision scheduled for tomorrow and now I'm not going to do it. You see, so it's like, and it's not to say that that was, it's beautiful in terms of the saints doing those things. Because you see their heart, the heart of a beautiful, beautiful believer, like a, a, a young believer. There's that aspect of the, the beauty, the innocence. But at the same time, it's still dangerous. It's still dangerous. Remember these Pharisees, they took it upon themselves. They were, they were no under command of the Lord. They were under no command of the, the, uh, uh, the leadership, the overseers. They, were, they just took it upon themselves. Hebrew roots teachers, so to speak, teachers. But what they taught was poison. You see, remember in verse 1, chapter 15, the book of Acts, certain men came down, came down from Judea, and now we understand that they were Pharisees. You know, they, 
I, I say former Pharisees because they believe in Jesus, but they still had the pharisaical heart. They didn't want to let go of the law. And it came at a heavy cost to the church. And in verse 1, they taught the brethren. You see, they have no business teaching. And yet they taught. Now, if you're Hebrew roots already, I know you're probably jolted to the core. What does this mean? That's me. I got circumcised. That's me. I do the law of Moses. What do we do? And if you're Jewish, that's one thing. But if you're Gentile, if you're Gentile, well, I got circumcised. I did. I do the law of Moses. I, I do everything because my teacher says I got to do it. My pastor says I got to do it. And we're Hebrew roots movement. And, we, you know, they say that, you know, after all, you know, the, 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 the apostles were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And show, so we got to go back to the Hebrew roots and understand the uh, be like the Judaizers. Well, there's a danger to that mentality. There's a danger to that ideology. A huge danger. Huge, huge danger. You say, but I love Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. And I say to you that it's quite possible that you have left him. And I know, I know that's scary to hear. And I love you. I don't say it to hurt you. But that fact is painful. You say, wait a second. What do you mean that fact? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 3, this is remember, this is an introduction into the book of Galatians. And in Romans chapter 3, what do we see? We see here in verse 19, Brother Paul, Brother Paul, a vessel of the Lord, he says in verse 19 in Romans 3, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before the Lord. Whoa, that's heavy. Yes, that's the law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You see, when you hear me say that Perhaps, if you are, I, I, I shouldn't say perhaps. I say perhaps because this might be you, but I don't want to say perhaps because I pray it isn't you. And if it is you, I pray that you abandon the law and that you come to Christ. Because look what is written here in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, and if that's you, well, I do the deeds of the law. I go to this Hebrew roots movement and the guy told me, the guy told me that I got to do the deeds of the law of Moses. I got to apply the law of Moses to my life. And so I do these things, what's written in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I do all these things. But understand, verse 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see? Because remember, if righteousness comes through the law, if, then Jesus Christ died in vain. You see? If it were possible for righteousness to come through the law, then it was pointless for Jesus to die on the cross. You see? Now, it pains me to say that, 
Because it absolutely is not pointless, was not pointless for Jesus Christ to die on the cross because he's the propitiation for our sins, your sins and my sins. No flesh will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, by the deeds of the law in verse 20, verse 21. But now, and I say to you right now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. That, my friend, is Jesus Christ. And if your Hebrew roots come out of her, my people, and come into Christ, abide in Christ. And if that's you, I want you to hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. If you're Hebrew roots, if you're in Hebrew roots movement right now, you are not in Christ. You're in the law of Moses. And the deeds of the law, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be saved in his sight. You see? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You need to repent and come to Christ and accept him as Lord and abide in him, the fulfillment of the law. But now in verse 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law. So now we make this distinction. Now we make a separation from the law. That there's righteousness outside the law? Yes, absolutely. The fulfillment of the law. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. You see? These are things being witnessed or testified by the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me. The prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they look forward to the things that we behold today. And what we behold today is the word of the Lord, which became flesh, Jesus Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Remember, same spirit. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Everything aligns. Ezekiel writes things that Paul uh, illuminates. Paul writes things that illuminates what Ezekiel writes and what Joel writes and what Zephaniah writes and Peter writes. And why the same spirit, the spirit of the Lord? You see, Moses wrote about Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. That's why, you know, we're in the Torah. We're studying the Torah. On, I mean, not the Torah of the Old Testament, but you know, the five books of Moses were on Deuteronomy, the last book of the five books. But how many times do you see warning labels with our studies? The warning label that came with Leviticus. I mean, even on uh, just last Wednesday, we studied Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 3. But as New Covenant believers, we look at Deuteronomy 3 through the lens of New Covenant believers. Because... I know that there's a seduction into the law and I don't want any of us to be seduced into the law. Because just like verse 20 says here, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And I don't want that for you or me. I want all of us to be justified. And that can only be done in Christ. Only. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. But through me, he says. Only him. Only Jesus Christ. In verse 22, even the righteousness of God 
through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. You see, there is no difference. And so we see something emerge here. In verse 27, still in Romans 3, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But the law of faith. You see? The law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So if you're in the Hebrew roots and you still haven't repented and come to Christ, you say, I do the deeds of the law. I read Deuteronomy. I do the deeds of Deuteronomy. I do the deeds of Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus. I do the deeds of the law. Well, teachers of the law, the Hebrew roots teachers, what happens with them is they very often teach of in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, and Exodus, but very rarely will they touch into Genesis before the law. Remember Abraham? Justified, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That is righteousness outside of the law because the law hadn't been given. That is pre-Ten Commandments. And righteousness could be achieved? Absolutely. How? Faith. Faith. Look pre-law. You see? The law of faith is what Brother Paul writes about. Therefore, in verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Question mark. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, he says. In verse 30, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, you see, through faith. And that's speaking of Jew and Gentile. There's a circumcision of heart. Circumcision of heart. It's through faith. Do we then make void the law? Through faith? Question mark. Certainly not. Exclamation point. On the contrary. We establish the law. <laughs> Moses wrote about me, Jesus said. Moses wrote about me. I know it's hardcore for me to say these things if you're Hebrew roots, and I love you. But understand, as the word says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And you think, wait a second, I'm leaving the law. I'm leaving the law. No. You're abiding in the fulfillment of the law by abiding in Christ, just like it is written here in verse 31, do we then make void the law through faith? No way. No way. It's just the opposite. On the contrary, we establish the law. You see, now we look at Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise, this is speaking about Abraham now. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. You see, remember, Abraham didn't have the Ten Commandments. This was pre-law, pre pre-Moses. 
but through the righteousness of faith. And verse 14 is a huge deal. But if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Now do you see the danger of Hebrew roots going back to the law? It is dangerous because as is written in Romans 3 verse 20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. But at the same time, you look at chapter 4, Romans verse 14. If those who are of the law are heirs, Hebrew roots, faith is made void, which is a bad thing. And if faith is made void, the promise is made of no effect. I don't want that for you. If you're Hebrew roots, I don't want that for you. I don't want the promises of the Lord to be made void. I don't want the promises of the Lord to be made of no effect. I don't want your faith to be made void. You see? Understand that just like with Abraham, the promise that was given to Abraham, as is written in verse 13, pre-law, pre-Moses, pre-Ten Commandments, the promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, because it was pre-law, but through the righteousness of faith. Remember, it was accounted to him for righteousness' sake. Why? Obedience. Obedience, not to the law, to the Lord. You see, what about your and my obedience to the Lord, the fulfillment of the law? You see? And I know that rocks you to the core. If you're Hebrew roots, I know that rocks you to the core. Because it's like, wait a second, do we make void the law through faith? No, certainly not, exclamation point, as is written in chapter 3, verse 31. On the contrary, we establish the law. Because he speaks of, just like it's written in chapter 3, verse 27, the law of faith. You see? The law of faith. Now, in chapter 4, verse 15, because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all or certain to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, both Jew and Gentile. You see, and all of this is through Christ. Righteousness does not come through the law. If that were the case, then Jesus Christ died in vain. And he certainly did not die in vain. And I know this is very difficult, very difficult to... I hope it's not difficult to understand. But it's difficult to accept, especially if you're Hebrew roots. And what I have to say to you is come out of her, my people, and abide in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the law. You... My beautiful, beautiful friend, you establish the law of faith, you see? And when you abide in Christ, the fulfillment of the law, 
what happens? The promise is not made of no effect. The promise is in effect. It is effectuated by your faith. You see? Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. A little refresher course because we just studied this not too long ago. <clears throat> In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Brother Paul says this. In verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You, you, to Gentiles. Remember the 2 Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church was predominantly Gentile. He says, you are, are our epistle. That's what Paul says. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, referencing the law, <laughs> referencing the law, referencing Moses, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. You see, verse six, right in the middle of verse six, he says this, for the letter kills, referencing the law, the letter of the law. Remember the warning label that came with our study in Leviticus that make the distinction between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? For the letter kills in verse six, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, <laughs> referencing the law, the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones was glorious. That ministry of death, the Ten Commandments, written and engraved on stones was glorious. And yes, it was glorious. Absolutely. The law is holy. The law is still holy. And Paul says, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. Now, there's a comma here, but fast forward to verse 8. If the in verse seven, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, go to verse eight. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? You see, the law is holy, but there is something more holy. Remember, the law was created with loopholes to make way for something better. Jesus Christ. That's our study in Hebrews which we're going to reference quite a bit in our study through Galatians. Remember, this is just an introduction into Galatians. You see? How, in verse 8, how, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Now, let's go back to verse 7 when he says, If the ministry of death written and engraves, engraved on stones was glorious, that's the Ten Commandments, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, you see, that's the law, the Ten Commandments. In verse 7, the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, which is glorious, it's still holy. And verse 9, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And if you remember our study through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that was the headlights. You know, the low beams and the high beams? Yes, the law is holy. Low beams. There's something more glorious. High beams. You see? 
which is the ministry of righteousness. In verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put an understand that Moses is a servant in the master's house. Moses is a servant. Paul is a servant. Everything in accordance to the master. Jeremiah, servant. Ezekiel, servant. Zephaniah, servant. Servants of the Lord. Same spirit in the master's house. Unlike Moses in verse 13, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, meaning like straight up like, you know, it, this was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years when Second Corinthians was written. But he's referencing even earlier the law of Moses. And he says in verse 14, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. That's why when we study the Old Testament, I, I think in every single study through the Old Testament, we always look at it through the lens of New Covenant believers. We always reference something in the New Testament. There might be times where we haven't, but there's a lot of times where we do. Leviticus came with the hardcore warning label, and we looked at passages in the New Testament because the, the Torah, these passages, the, the five books of Moses, it's not dangerous, but there is a danger behind it. It's like, you know, white water rafting. White water rafting can be dangerous, and it is dangerous, but you need a guide. You need a guide, somebody to who knows how to navigate through the waters, knows what, what spots to avoid, what little, you know, little, you know, little whirlpools, what to avoid, what to look out for. You need a guide to teach you and guide you through these things of the Torah because the Torah, it's beautiful, it's holy, there's glory in it, but there's still, I don't want to say a trap. But there are, just like the Pharisees in the book of Acts, there are people who don't have proper understanding to properly navigate through that. And in so doing, people get trapped. They go back to Hebrew roots. They go back to the law, you see, which isn't good. It's not a good thing. It's dangerous. And since we know that what we looked at in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 4, since we know in Romans 4 that faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, there's also a satanic element because Satan doesn't want the promise to be effectuated inside of you. Satan, he knows the Bible. And he doesn't want, he, he, he doesn't want not just a promise made oh, in effect in you, but he wants your faith to be void. And so he's like a little trickster. Hey, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Let's do the deeds of Deuteronomy. Let's do the deeds of Leviticus. Come on, it's in the Bible. You see, and unsuspecting Christians who very well put up with it, 
just as what happened in Corinth. They very well put up with it without understanding that the deeds of the law, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Satan knows it. Satan absolutely knows it. The demons, they know it. And Satan's ministers who present themselves as ministers of righteousness, what we studied in the latter chapters of 2 Corinthians, they know it as well. So what do they do? Oh, let's do Hebrews. Let's just not let's just skip what is written here in Romans and let's abide in Deuteronomy. Let's abide in Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus. We'll, we'll touch a little bit on Genesis, but not too much because we got to do Deuteronomy. Not too much of Genesis. You see? Without understanding that Abraham, that the promise to Abraham was not through the law. That was before the law. The promise to Abraham was through faith, you see? And it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. So now you see the danger of Hebrews because Satan knows that your faith can be made void and the promises of the word of God can be made void. How? By you abiding in the law. Because in order to abide in the law, you're not abiding in Christ. In order to abide in the law, you have to leave Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law. You see? Even the tabernacle had a door. The very tabernacle that you read in Leviticus, the very tabernacle that you read the blueprints that the Lord gave Moses in Exodus, even the tabernacle had a door. What does Jesus Christ say? I am the door. You see? I am the door, he says. My master says. Abide in Christ. And don't forget, the veil was torn. Tetelestai, it is finished. From top to bottom, the veil was torn. From top to bottom, the Holy of Holies, the veil was torn. And so now we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. The veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, you see? Oh, we study the Torah. We study Deuteronomy. Well, it's beautiful to study, but it must always be done through the lens of the new covenant and while abiding on the rock of the new covenant. And that rock is Christ. Because to abide in the law, when Moses is even read, what can happen is a veil can be presented in your heart. And you know who knows that? Satan. Satan knows that. He wants a veil over your heart. Not, not, not a, the holy covering, but he wants a veil over your heart. Why? To blind you. Just like it's written in verse 14. But their minds were blinded. 
Why were they blinded? Because of the veil that remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. You see? That's why we all, you know, Leviticus had a warning label. We look at passages through the Old Testament and through the Torah. And we always look at it through the lens of New Covenant. Always, 100% of the time. Always. Because yes, and that's, that's what tricksters use. Hucksters, servants of Satan. And they know who they are. You say, oh, but my pastor, he's Hebrew roots and he loves us and he teaches us and all these things. But he, he's, he's Hebrew roots, a very heavy focus on Deuteronomy. And we might read a, a little bit of the New Testament, but very, very heavy focus on Deuteronomy and numbers and all these things. And we even look at the book of Enoch and do all these things. Let me tell you something. I love you. I love you. If you're Hebrew roots, if you're a teacher of Hebrew roots, we're going to, you know, stand by. The majority of teachers of Hebrew roots that I have met and had discussions with and debates with, and some heavy debates, the majority of times, I would say 95.3% of the time, they're very, very, very perverted, sexually minded, because they like the concubines they like all the sex they like all the you know they can have this wife they can have a little something on the side they can have a little bit of this a little bit of that they like the concubines very perverted and they lead in that's like step number one into cults cults it's not good if you're hebrew roots and you sit in the pews i love you and i say leave the fellowship I don't even call that a fellowship. Leave. Find a new teacher who understands the law and who can navigate properly, navigate the white water rapids and bring you safely to have this understanding of the Torah, but always abiding on the rock of salvation. And I say that if you sit in the pews of the Hebrew Roots Church, I, you know, Hebrew Roots Church, but I don't call it a church. You see, come out of her, my people. Abide in Jesus Christ so that the promise is not made void. You see, it's a trap. Satan knows it. And you know how Satan is a trickster? I mean, he's a trickster and his servants are tricksters. But they use the Bible to trick. You see, same with Reformed theory. He, he uses the Bible to trick people. To trick the babies. To trick the adolescents. He uses the Bible. He tried to use the Bible with Jesus. It is written. You jump off. You know, climb up to the top of this temple. You jump down and it is written. God will bring the angels will bring you down nice and safely. Jesus Christ says, it is also written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see, Satan knows the Bible. And so he goes to the babies. He goes to the babies, the little lambs the young sheep, and says, hey, let's go back into Deuteronomy. Look, it's the Bible, Deuteronomy, it's the Bible. Don't you want to abide in the Bible? Don't you want to understand the Bible? Look, let's do the deeds of the law. And the unsuspecting Christian, just like the unsuspecting uh, Antioch saints, oh, we got circumcised, I got all my sons circumcised. Gentile, oh, Brother Paul, I love you. Oh, by the way, I'm a little sore, I just got circumcised. 
Who told you this? Who told you this? I never taught that to you. Who told you, you beautiful, lovely saint? Who told you this? Oh, this guy, his name is, you know, Joe Schmo, you know? Paul gets into town into Judea. Who's this Joe Schmo guy? I got some words with him. Who is he? Show me. Point him out to me. Where is he? Where is this guy who went into Antioch and compelled them to do this, the Gentiles to do this? Point him out to me. Where is he? You see? Knows it's not a small deal with Paul. Because Paul knows. Peter knows. Barnabas knows. James knows. The Spirit of the Lord. They know. That's a heavy yoke to put on the Gentiles. That's a heavy yoke, which our fathers couldn't even do. We can't even do it. And you're going to put it on them? You're going to put it on the lambs? Joe? You're going to do that? On what authority? Well, I took it upon myself. On what authority? Did the Lord tell you to do that? What spirit are you listening to, Joe? What spirit? Because the spirit of the Lord guides in his word. By what spirit? Yes, you believe in Jesus Christ, Joe, but even demons believe and they tremble. Joe, do you tremble? The young saints, the young lambs, the young, the young sheep in Antioch, they believed in you, Joe. They believe what you said, Joe, thinking that you, we sent you. But no, you took it upon yourself, Joe. Hey, Joe, you got to let go of the law, Joe. You got to let go of the law. Don't speak on this matter anymore. Joe, because you have no authority. You see, you teach on things which you ought not to teach. You see, by what spirit do you speak this, Joe? So Paul, Barnabas, they go back into Antioch. You know, hey, Gentiles, some of you were circumcised already. But if you haven't been circumcised yet, you don't have to do it. Don't do it. The, the law of Moses, don't do that either. Why? Because we abide in Christ. And we, Barnabas, me, Paul, or me, this is Paul speaking, you know, Barnabas, Peter, James, we want the promises of God to be effectuated in you. We don't want them to be made void. We want them to be very present with you and a sure thing unto you. And in order for that to happen, you have to, Leave the law and abide in Christ. You see? Now, if you're Hebrew roots and you say, wait a second. I'm a Christian and I abide in Christ. But I go to this church and everybody's crazy. Look, they have glitter coming down. The guy wants to go grave soaking. This guy tells me I got to take the mark of the beast. You know, the Christians, they're having sex like crazy. Guys are going with the prostitutes. And, you know, the married ladies, they're getting their prostitutes. They're doing their social media stuff. They look like, you know, uh, whores. And they're getting drunk. And they're doing all these things. I can't be a part of this fellowship. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. Don't be a part of that fellowship. Behold the remnant. The remnant. You see? In the last days, these last days, the church is going to be a madhouse. A madhouse. You see? 
Just like, you know, when you read Genesis and you see uh, Beth El, praise be to the Lord, Beth El is so beautiful in Genesis. You read the minor prophets and the Lord says, don't you dare go to Beth El. The Lord says that. Beth El is so beautiful in Genesis. It's so beautiful. But you read the minor prophets and the Lord says, don't you dare go to Beth El. Well, wait a second. Did the Lord change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. Beth El became a dangerous place. Why? Because of the wickedness, the abominations that the people brought into Beth El. And the Lord says to the remnant, don't go to Beth El. Beth El will be judged. House of the Lord. House of God. Beth El. Beth El will be judged. He says that in the Minor Prophets. And I say it today too. Bethel will be judged. To those who have ears, let them hear. No grave soaking. No glitter from the rafters. Bethel will be judged. The church is crazy town. It is prophesied to happen. A lot of times I talk with the Hebrew roots, the pew Christians, the, the pew Hebrew roots, not the pulpit Hebrew roots. The pulpit Hebrew roots I have issues with. Stand by if that's you. But the pew Hebrew roots, I understand completely because a lot of them are compelled to enter these types of fellowships. If you can call them, I don't call them fellowships. They're compelled to enter these groups because they love the government. They love the governing aspect of things. And I completely understand and I get it. Because they, you know, they were formerly in churches where it's a madhouse, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of rock and roll, a lot of alcohol, a lot of whatever, the works of the flesh. You see Corinth, a lot of Corinth in the fellowships. That's because they have baby teachers. They have teachers that are defunct, pastors that are defunct. The spirit, they're not listening to the spirit and it's coming at a heavy cost. And it's seemingly forcing you to make these hardcore decisions about going into a Hebrew roots where you need more structure, more government, forcing people to go into Seventh-day Adventists, forcing people to go into Calvinists, forcing people into going Reformed because they like the government, they like the structure, but those are traps. Traps of the last days. You say, wait a second, I'm Reformed. How, how, how can you say Reformed is a trap? Because what's happening happening today in Reformed theory is they're starting to teach. That. I shouldn't say they're starting to teach. It's been happening for the past five years. That it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. It's a trap. Oh, Seventh-day Adventist legalism. You like the structure, but that's legalism. Hebrew roots, same thing. It's a trap. Promises of the Lord made of no effect. Faith made void. You see? And Satan knows it. Satan knows it. So what does he do? He calls up his servants and says, Hey, dress up. Get all dolled up. Get nice. You know, do your hair. Comb it nicely. You know, brush your teeth. Get a little, here's your little teeth whitener. And do all these things. And dress up nice and neat. And, you know, teach Deuteronomy. Teach numbers. Teach the Torah. Not don't don't do too much in in Genesis pre-law. You know don't do the early parts of Exodus. But teach the Torah. You see, 
And then the unsuspecting saints, they enter these fellowships because they want the structure. They don't like to see the craziness that they see in the church today. And these things must happen. These things must happen. Look what is written here. Still in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says in verse 15, But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. He says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You see? So, Moses, veil. Jesus, no veil. You see? Moses, blind. Like the Pharisees. Blind guides is what Jesus Christ says. Read Matthew 23. Blind guides, the Pharisees, abiding in Moses because they had the veil. Jesus, no veil. In verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Now, because of this unveiling, the saint who's abiding in Christ is being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, if you're Hebrew roots and you're doing the deeds of the law, of which no flesh will be justified, and you're doing the deeds of the law, of which the promises of God are made void, and so is faith, you're doing the deeds of the law, it is impossible to be transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. It is impossible. Because righteousness does not come through the law. You see? Now, the law is still holy. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And here in 1 Timothy, and this is just an introduction to Galatians. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. This is pastor to pastor. Pastor Paul to young Pastor Timothy. So this is pastor. Pastoral epistles are a little hardcore. I mean, the, 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 the regular epistles are to the saints, you know, to the pew Christians, but to the pulpit Christians, Timothy and Titus, that's a little bit more hardcore. In some cases, a lot of it hardcore. And Paul says this to young Pastor Timothy in verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Young Timothy, tell them, teach no other doctrine. Teach the doctrine that I gave you. You see? Teach the doctrine that you heard from Peter. Teach the doctrine that Eunice and Lois poured into you. Teach that doctrine. You see? Because it is holy. It aligns with everything. The Spirit of the Lord. Everything, you know, everything aligns. But not just charge that they teach no other doctrine. 
He says in verse 4, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in the faith. Now the purpose of this of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law. You see? Paul is mentioning Joe from Acts 15. Hey, Joe, by what spirit do you teach these things? Hey, Joe, why do you compel the, why do you compel Gentiles to be circumcised? And not just that, Joe. Hey, Joe, why is it that you compel them to do the deeds of Moses, to do the law of Moses, to abide in the law of Moses? Don't you understand, Joe? Don't you understand by, by doing the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, Joe? Hey, Joe, don't you understand that by doing the deeds of the law, faith is made void? Hey, Joe, don't you understand that by doing the deeds of the law, the promises of God are made void? Hey, Joe, don't you understand that by doing the deeds of the law, the veil is over the hearts and the minds? Hey, Joe, don't you know that abiding in Christ, the veil is lifted and they are no longer blind? You see? Paul has words for Joe in Acts 15. Now, I don't know what his name is. I just say Joe because I don't know. But I'm giving you an example. And Pastor Paul is telling young Pastor Timothy, Hey, Timothy. Charge them, not all of them, charge some in verse 3, that they teach no other doctrine. And not just that, in verse 6, some of them, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. And these people who have turned aside or turned away, they desire to be teachers of the law. Timothy. You got to be a wall. You have to prevent this from happening, Timothy. Remember, just as you were with me when, you know, when we went to the different synagogues, just as you saw, Timothy, you're the wall. I'm an old man. I'm going to die. Timothy, you're up. Titus, you're up. You're next. You got to do this, Timothy, because look, the church is going crazy and we got to prevent this from happening in obedience to the Lord. You see? Pastoral epistles. And these people, Timothy, in verse 6, some of them, not all of them, having strayed, in verse 6, they've turned aside to idle talk. And these people, Timothy, beautiful, beautiful young Timothy, the future pastor, Timothy, you've done so beautifully and praise be to the Lord. I praise the Lord for your ministry. And I'm going to be dead and Timothy, you're up. And when you serve the Lord in this capacity, understand that these people who have strayed, they desire to be teachers of the law, as is written in verse 6 and 7. They've strayed. Just like Joe in Acts 15. The Pharisee who believes in Jesus Christ. But don't forget, even the demons believe. Don't forget Simon, not Simon Peter. Don't forget Simon where the Holy Spirit 
bypassed him. Remember when Philip, the evangelist, and there was the bunch that Peter perceived that the Spirit had not, had not fallen on any of them, and then he laid hands and the Spirit came, except he, the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. Why? Wickedness. And Simon believed in Jesus Christ. And there was this Pharisee in Acts 15. I call him Job. And it's a little moniker. This Pharisee believed in, in Jesus. But by what spirit is he saying these things? Certain men. So it's not just Joe. Maybe there's Joe and somebody else. But they stood up in the council. No, these people must be circumcised and we got to do the, the law of Moses. The commands of Moses. What? Remember, it was not a small thing with Paul and Barnabas. Same with Peter. Simon Peter. Cephas. Same with James. It's not a, not a small deal with them. You see? And these people, they desire to be teachers of the law, except Paul says here in verse 7, they understand neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. These are defunct individuals as teachers. These are people without understanding, which some translations, people without understanding, are labeled as fools. And in the Greek, you know what they're called? Idiotes. Where we get the word idiot from. These are people, they desire to be teachers of the law. They desire to be teachers of the Torah. They desire to be teachers of Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. And these people, as it says in verse 6, they have strayed. They have strayed. And they desire to be teachers of the law. And yet they understand neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And because these people have strayed, in whose camp are these people in now? These teachers of the law. In whose camp are they in? Now, it could be that they're straight up idiotes. It could be that they're straight up fools. But it could also be that they are servants of Satan. It could also be that they are servants of Satan. You see? Disguising themselves as ministers of righteousness. Satan says, okay, go teach Deuteronomy. Do your hair. Get yourself all dolled up. Wear the nice suit. Get your teeth whitener. Do all these things. Shine your shoes. Do all these things. And teach from Deuteronomy. And I know, look, I threw the wrench in this fellowship and I know that there's some of the, they think they're the remnant and they don't like it. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to use people. I'm going to take people from your fellowship and I'm going to use them as fishermen to attract these other people. They think they're the remnant, but look, you're going to teach Deuteronomy and you're going to be teach this aspect of the law because these people, they don't like the craziness they see in the church. And so they're going to go be seduced. I'm seducing them to Deuteronomy because I want them to abide, not in Christ. I want them to abide in the law. And you have these servants of Satan. In some cases, idiotes. Well, in all cases, idiotes. But there's the sinister aspect where they're servants of Satan and they know it. A lot of perverts. A lot of perverts because they like the sex. 
they lead, leads them into the cult. You know, they enter the law and it's the first step into the cult atmosphere. And the cult atmosphere, they like the sex. They teach, okay, I got my wife number one, wife number two, wife number three, concubine number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And these stupid, wicked servants of Satan who are perverted, they get away with it. Well, in this life, seemingly get away with it, but they're going to burn in hell, subject to the second death, without repentance. But servants of Satan, they've made their choice. And outside of repentance, such individuals will burn in hell, the second death. They're going to burn in hell. And Satan and his servants, they want to drag you with them. You see? It's a trap. Straight up, it's a trap. They've strained. Verse 6, verse 7. These people who have strayed now, who knows, they, they, they stray doctrinally. When somebody strays doctrinally, they're already gone. Somebody strays doctrinally, they're already gone, number one. Now, who's going to pick them up? Satan will. Satan will pick them up, brush them off, and say, okay, I'm going to use you as my vessel. I want to use you to be a teacher of the law. Teach Deuteronomy, teach, teach Leviticus, teach Numbers. Don't do too much in Genesis because that's pre-law. But be heavy-handed when it comes to Deuteronomy. You see? And these people, they understand neither the things they say nor the things they affirm. How it tra- the, the, Those without understanding translates as idiots, idiotes in the Greek. Now, doctrinally speaking, it can very well be that they're either an idiot, stupid, without understanding or a servant of satan and what is happening in churches today we're putting up with it you might well put up with it because satan knows that in the deeds of the law there is no righteousness and in the deeds of the law faith is void the promises of god made void You see, he knows it. He knows it. And that's the trap. He wants you to leave Christ. Jesus is the door. We go into him. The problem is with seduction is that we can jump out the back door. We can jump out. We can, you know, Satan dangles the sex. Satan dangles the drugs. Satan dangles the meth, the crack, the strip clubs, the, 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 the gambling, the Buddha, the Virgin Mary. Satan dangles all these things and we can just walk away. Walk away. You see? That's called straying. Being astray. Not good. It's a trap. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know, remember, Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Not Paul isn't speaking to the church. Paul isn't speaking to, you know, the pew Christians. Paul isn't speaking to the, the babies of Corinth. Paul isn't speaking to uh, the Roman saints. He's not speaking to Philippi. He's speaking to an individual in his entourage, in his holy bubble, which he took under his wing as a young child. 
he took under his wing as a young child. Adam circumcised because he says, Timothy, we're going to go in the synagogue and you need to see me. You need to see me in action, Timothy. Because when I die, you're up. When I'm an old man, you're up. Or, you know, who knows? I might be stones tomorrow. I don't know. But you're up. And you need to see this, Timothy. We're, we're going to circumcise you. Now, it wasn't like in accordance to the law and doing these things all in accordance to the law. Timothy, you got to see me in action. Because you're the next generation, not just of righteousness. You're the next generation of leadership, Timothy. Paul says in verse 8, But we know. I, Paul, know. You, Timothy, know. We know, Timothy, that the law is good. The law is good. Remember, it's glory. The, the law is still holy. There's still glory in the law, except it's the low beams. Why? Because it shows us our sin. It exposes our sin. <laughs> Praise be to the Lord when our sin is exposed. That's the law. Why? Because we can repent. We can repent before the Lord and go from the low glory into the high glory, which is abiding in Christ. You see, remember, even the tabernacle had a door. And Jesus Christ is the door. I am the door, he says. But we know in verse 8 that the law is good if, if, a word of conditionality, if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Remember, abiding in Christ. Now, emphasis on abiding in Christ. That's important. Because a lot of times the Hebrew roots, pew believers, they're seduced, not so much seduced into Hebrew roots. I mean, in some cases, yes, but they're seduced by the, they're repulsed by what they see in the church today. And in that level of being repulsed, that is their compulsion into Hebrew roots. Also, Seventh-day Adventists, also uh, Calvinism and Reformed theory, something with stricter government. It's completely understandable except there's traps all remember landmines we have to we have to navigate through not just white waters but we have to also navigate through landmines doctrinally speaking and so a lot of this drive into hebrew roots and other movements is because of the crazy town people see in the church and if you're Hebrew roots and you still haven't repented and abiding in Christ, if that's you and you're still listening and you're still repulsed by what you see in the church today, I want you to know that I'm also repulsed by what I see in the church today. But these things must happen. All of Scripture will be fulfilled. All of Scripture will be fulfilled. The church is in crazy town. And don't forget that judgment comes first in the house of God. You see? The law is not made as is written here. What Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy. This is the holy bubble. A little inside look of what is said in this holy bubble. Paul says, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but, the, but for the lawless. 
Very interesting. The law is for the lawless? Absolutely. And insubordinate. For the ungodly and for sinners. For the unholy and profane. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. For manslayers. For fornicators. For sodomites. For kidnappers. For liars. For perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is saying, this is what the law is for. This is what the law is for. It's for the ungodly. It's for the unholy. And anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's what the law is for. Why? Because it exposes our sin. And when our sin is exposed, when our sin is exposed, we have a choice to make. We either love darkness or we love light. You see? And the light is in the door. We enter the door and we abide in Christ. Don't leave. We enter the door and don't jump out the window. We enter the door and we stay there. And when we stay there, that's called abiding in Christ. Satan's going to be out the window dangling the strippers, dangling the meth, dangling the crack, dangling the occult, dangling all the fun. I'm doing my air quotes, so-called fun. He's going to be dangling everything. And then, you know, when things go crazy with people who are supposedly abiding in Christ, biblically, they're not abiding in Christ. They're not abiding in Christ. People say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Come on, let's do crack. That's not abiding in Christ. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Come on, let's go to the strip club. That's not abiding in Christ. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Come on, let's 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 go do let's go gambling. Come on, let's go to the casino. That's not abiding in Christ. Let's go get drunk. Let's go get high. Let's go do this. Let's go do. Let's go worship Mary. Let's go to Buddha. That's not abiding in Christ. You see. Very important to understand these things and make these distinctions because the problem with Galatia wasn't being arrested development like in Corinth, but the attack of Satan came to them when they were in fourth and fifth grade. They they understood these, uh, these things about maturing in Christ, but there was still this attack that Satan had and say, hey, let's go back to the law. Just like Joe from Acts 15. You see? And Paul says all these things that the law is the law is not made for a righteous person. The law is for the ungodly and the unholy. In verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You see, the law is holy. Absolutely, the law is holy. It shows us, it exposes our sin. And when our sin is exposed... We, eat, we have a choice, door or no door. We go to the door and we stay. We abide in Christ, which is inside the door. Don't forget the tabernacle had a door. You see? And Jesus Christ, as capital D. How many times do you remember our study in Leviticus and Numbers? Capital D. Capital D, capital D, the door. It's so powerful. It's not to say that the law is not glory. There is glory in the law, but it's low beams. We go from low beam to high beam, which is the better glory, which is Christ. You see? And so now let's go to Galatians chapter 1. 
Actually, I mean, this, this is, you know, in conclusion, I shouldn't say, you know, let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. But this is our introduction into the book of Galatians. Understand that, you know, when we look at the pastoral epistle, epistles, pastor to pastor, Paul to young pastor Timothy, Paul says to another pastor, he says these teachers of the law, they're idiots. They're idiotes without understanding. And if you're Hebrew roots and you still haven't repented and are abiding in Christ, if that's you, understanding that these teachers of the law are idiotes without understanding, why heed them? Why heed them? When we looked at these passages of what the purpose of the law is, knowing that abiding in the law and doing the deeds of the law Knowing that that voids faith. Why heed these teachers of the Hebrew Roots Movement? And knowing that the deeds of the law not only voids faith, but also voids the promise. Why heed these people who teach the such things of which they have no understanding of? Knowing what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that they've strayed and they desire to be teachers of the law? Why heed them? Knowing that the deeds of the law not only voids faith and not only voids the promise, but it also brings God's wrath. Why in the world would you heed such I'm doing my air quotes, such teachers. Because they might be without understanding. Oh, they are without understanding. They might be idiotes. They might be without understanding. But they might be a servant of Satan. A servant of Satan. And Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's going to hell. And he wants to drag you with him. And he'll use his servants. Sometimes they're just useful idiots. Sometimes they don't know. But sometimes they do know. And they've made their choice. And they want to drag you to hell. And they'll use the Bible to do it. You see? They'll use Deuteronomy to do it. They'll use numbers. Do they say, well, well, that's kind of a cheap shot. That's a low blow. Absolutely. It is a cheap shot. It is a low blow. But when we've rolled around on the mat and you've trained, we've trained how to fight, you're equipped, you're ready to engage. You see, that's what happens with maturity, not just first grade to second grade, not just second to third, but third to fourth to fifth to sixth to seventh to eighth to ninth and on to perfection. Knowing that Satan wants to drag you to hell and knowing that he uses the Bible to do so. Why would you heed such servants? Why would you heed such teachers if you're Hebrew roots? Why? Why would you put up with it? As Paul says to the Corinthian saints, you will put up with it. You might well put up with it. And I say to you, why do you put up with it? And I also say to you, come out of her, my people. There is a better way.
His name is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, the way, the truth, and the life. You see, heavy emphasis on Hebrew roots because it is one of many dangers of these last days. And a big problem in the church, if not the major problem in the church in Galatia, was the Hebrew roots movement. People, certain men who came in the fellowships, unsuspecting saints, they say, oh, let's go back and do the things of the law. Let's go do what Moses wants us to do. Moses was a servant, and he wrote about Jesus Christ. You and me, we abide in Jesus Christ. We don't abide in Moses. We abide in Jesus Christ. We don't abide in uh, Ezekiel. We don't abide in Paul. We don't abide in Peter. We abide in Jesus Christ. These people that I named, Ezekiel, Moses, Paul, Peter, they're servants of the master's house. You see? Servants of the master's house. And we don't abide in them. We abide in Christ. And these servants, beautiful, beautiful servants. And in the Bible, you're going to see, we already see men, women, young, old, beautiful servants of the Lord. Beautiful. And these are saints who don't want anybody to abide in them. But Satan's servants, they want people to abide in them. But a people of the way, a remnant of these last days, no, we abide in Jesus Christ. Just like John the Baptist, a beautiful servant of the Lord. Go to Jesus Christ. Go to Him. He must increase, I must decrease. You see, go to Him. He is the Master. Go to Him. Abide in Him the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is our introduction into the book of Galatians. And we do this to have this understanding of this threat that was in the church of Galatia, but at the same time, this threat that is still here today. And we look at the very first Hebrew roots movement in the early church to teach us, to show us, to help us understand that yes, we're in the white waters, but we have to navigate through and navigate safely. You see? And when we get out of the water, we're going to be on the land. And on the land, there's landmines. And we still got to navigate safely. You see? And we move on to perfection on our way to Zion. You see? Praise be to the Lord. Beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.